This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Tiruan Saranai, welcome to those who are joining the program for the first time and welcome to those who have tuned in before. We were, to- we're talking about the perfections on the Bodhisattva path and over the last week we started going in some depth into the perfection of generosity. Perfection here means an action done with a perfectly developed motivation, which is of course bodhicitta. For first-timers to the program, bodhicitta is the mind to become enlightened solely to help all other suffering beings also attain enlightenment and become free of their suffering. A bodhisattva is one who has developed this bodhicitta mind fully. As far as giving is concerned, a bodhisattva is someone who can give away body, life and limb to benefit others without feeling any hesitation or regret at all. In fact, for a realized bodhisattva, Giving of any kind brings intense happiness. So I guess in Buddhist terms, Jesus was a bodhisattva because he could suffer hugely on the cross for the sake of bringing immense benefit to countless other sentient beings. Last week we specifically covered the generosity of material things and said that for an act of giving to be a perfection, it had to have a pure motivation, the gift had to be of a suitable quality, the donee should be satisfied, and the action had to be perfect in every way. That's quite difficult. But if our motivation is pure bodhicitta and we try our best, we should get there. Today we're going to cover the other types of generosity. But before we get on to that, how about setting out a motivation as we usually do? If bodhicitta has to be our motivation for practicing the perfection of giving, why not make it our motivation now? So let's make this program the cause for our enlightenment so that we can be of the greatest benefit to all beings. If this is too big a call for you, at least to think that the program will be the cause for your own liberation and enlightenment. Thank you. The generosity of Dharma refers to giving any kind of speech, writing, or even sign language that conveys Dharma to another person. So my sitting here on the radio is an act of giving the Dharma. Of course, I'm not saying that I'm a Buddha, so everything I say is perfect or even correct, but even just talking about the little that I know to help others to attain enlightenment is the generosity of Dharma. But you don't have to be a monk or pull something out of the scriptures to give the Dharma. Even, even telling your naughty cousin who's pinched a bit of chewing gum from the local dairy about the karmic perils of stealing is the generosity of Dharma. In other words, The generosity of Dharma is using anything from the Buddha's teachings to remove the suffering of others. With pure motivation, anything we say will become the generosity of Dharma. Even when we're by ourselves, reciting sutras, mantras and so on, we can practice the generosity of Dharma by thinking of those non-humans like spirits or even animals and so on who can hear us or read our thoughts. One great master by the name of Nagarjuna used to like to sit in his room reciting prayers and sutras aloud each day. A pigeon lived on the roof of a nearby house and heard him reciting day after day for many years. Eventually the pigeon died. Sometime later, a boy was born to an Indian couple and when he could talk, he told them he wanted to go and see his teacher. The parents asked him who his teacher was and he told them Nagarjuna. Eventually, they took the boy to the great yogi who recognized him as the pigeon reborn as a boy. The boy stayed with Nagarjuna and learnt from him, eventually becoming a great master himself. 
and if you've heard of Nagabodi, you will know who I'm talking about. You might also know of a rather famous text that Nagarjuna sent to a king called Letter to a Friend. It was a response to a king asking how he could practice the Dharma while still leading a royal life and not becoming a monk. That letter, or book in our case, is also an example of Dharma generosity. Dharma is actually the best kind of generosity we can give to others because it helps them to overcome their mental problems and attain liberation and enlightenment. In other words, free themselves from suffering completely. Although material generosity can help a, a people a lot, it only lasts for a short time. Even if I gave you a million dollars, it will only help you in this life. Once you die, the benefit is over. But the gift of pure dharma will go with a person for a million lives until they reach enlightenment. And the more they practice that dharma, the more happy their lives will be. Of course, giving both material things and the dharma will bring the greatest benefits. But the most important is dharma generosity. What then are the benefits to us if we practice the generosity of dharma? Well, basically our minds will steadily improve and so we will suffer less. Not only that, but it will be easy for us to gain realizations in future lives. I can tell you from my personal experience in creating these radio programs that researching and thinking about them, I've gained a lots, of, lots of knowledge about Buddha's teachings I didn't have before. So even in this life, my mind has improved a little bit, even if it's only in knowledge and not in realizations. As one teacher said, and I think it was Pema Chodron, Nothing teaches you about a subject as quickly as teaching it. It's certainly true that if you have to teach something and not look like a fool, you have to learn it well, even if you only stay one or two steps ahead of your students. So Dharma generosity, which is basically telling or teaching others about the Buddha's teachings and how to apply them, really does help you develop at least your knowledge, if not your wisdom. In the Vinaya Sutra, the Buddha explained to Shariputra why monks should strive to create the generosity of dharma rather than material gener generosity. He said, Shariputra, suppose a lay bodhi bodhisattva were to offer to the Buddhas as many Buddha pure lands as there are grains of sand in the Ganges, each filled with seven varieties of precious jewels. Shariputra, an ordained bodhisattva teaching just one verse of dharma accumulates more merit than such offerings by a lay bodhisattva. Shariputra, thus Buddhas do not permit the ordained to make material gener generosity. The great master Sangha said that if monks accumulate wealth to make material generosity, it hinders their practice, so it's better if they don't work or trade things and so on. However, if they already have wealth, it is of course good for them to make material generosity. In the West, it's difficult though because we have no tradition of lay people supporting monks. A common response is, why don't they just get a job like everyone else? So often a monk has to find a way of supporting himself, and if he can't get sponsorship, he will have to find a job. When I became a novice monk, my teacher told me to find some work, because in the West it is essential to have money, and support is practically non-existent. And that was well demonstrated when I was talking to a Westerner who came to the Tibetan temple I was staying in about sponsorship. We were sponsoring a number of Tibetan refugee monks overseas, and at the time I was working full-time to support myself in the temple. 
I mentioned in the course of our conversation that it would be nice if I had a sponsor. The lady looked at me with some disgust. You, she said, what do you need a sponsor for? And that's a typical attitude with Westerners to other Westerners who have taken robes. Of course, in the temples of the traditional Buddhist cultures, like the Sri Lankan temple where I'm currently living, the devotees provide for the monks very well, because that's the way people are brought up in their tradition. The third type of generosity is giving protection. This means freeing others from fear and anxiety and protecting them from danger. One of the common practices in Tibetan Buddhism is saving creatures whose lives are threatened. For instance, pet shops sell fly lava and worms that people can feed to their pet fish or birds. From time to time, students of Dharma centers buy these little creatures and set them free, thus saving their lives. Of course, some of them will naturally fall prey to other predators in the environment, but if we can give them Dharma imprints before we let them go, they will not have lived in vain. We will buy lots of these creatures and then do recitations of sutras or mantras and so on around them so that they get Dharma impressions before they are freed. In due course, maybe in many, many lifetimes, those impressions will ripen and those beings will be able to gain realizations and liberation. Not only are we giving them protection from being fish food, but we are also giving them the Dharma so that one day they will definitely have the chance to free themselves from ever becoming anybody else's food again, unless as bodhisattvas they choose to do so, of course. Giving protection also includes nursing the sick or changing people's behavior so that they don't become ill. So, if you have a 13-year-old who has taken up smoking, for instance, showing them the error of his ways and getting him off cigarettes will also be a form of giving protection. I don't think punishment therapy is all that great, though. When I was at school a very long time ago, one parent's response to their child's smoking was to make him smoke a whole packet of cigarettes in one go. It might have made the kid very ill and green, and he might even have stopped smoking, but even with a bodhicitta motivation, I doubt that it would be called the generosity of protection. The generosity of protection leads to a long and healthy life for yourself. You will also have less fear and anxiety because anxiety is often caused by an aggressive attitude to others. The less aggressive we are to others, the more peaceful we will become and so the less fear we will need to experience. The last of the four generosities is that of giving love. This means that we try the best we can to view all others through the eyes of love. Although it's obviously difficult to see everyone in this way, it really does bring a lot less stress than if we see others in our usual way of friend, enemy or stranger. With friends, we develop attachment and all its problems. Enemies encourage aversion and strangers indifference. If we can see all beings through the eyes of love, we can eventually be like St. Francis of Assisi, who, who called even the wind and the rain his brothers and sisters and then we'll have vastly less attachment, aversion and indifference than we do now. Don't you think the world would be a much better place if we could all see each other through the eyes of love? Now, once again, the four types of generosity we've talked about are the generosity of material things, the generosity of dharma, the generosity of protection, and the generosity of love. 
the most important thing with all of these is the motivation. And of course, the best motivation is that of bodhicitta. So we can make any act of generosity a cause for enlightenment by thinking, I'm doing this to attain enlightenment so I can help all sentient beings also be free of all their suffering. Or words to that effect. We also shouldn't have even the slightest regret, not even thinking that our gift would have been better given to someone other than the person we gave it to. You know, oh, I made a mistake, I should have given that to Auntie Maisie, not Auntie Emma. That kind of thought. One text, Shantideva's Compendium of Trainings, says that generosity practiced with four particular factors makes it a bodhisattva action. The first factor is that our giving must come from the heart without any holding back. However, we have to be careful of giving things like our body. Of course, the Buddha or highly realized being can give their body freely without any qualms. But while we still have lots of attachment to our body, we shouldn't give it. Otherwise, we might feel some regret, and that isn't so good. Also, we have to protect the virtue created by our acts of generosity by not allowing it to be destroyed by delusions such as anger and so on. In particular, we have to protect our body until such a time as we are in a position to be able to give it freely. So that's the second factor. The third factor is to keep our acts pure by not allowing our motivation to be mixed up with delusion and so on. And the fourth is to increase the virtue by dedicating all the merit to gaining enlightenment for the sake of all sentient beings. Actually, if we dedicate well like that, it becomes impossible for the positive potential to be destroyed by anger and so on. This dedication is also one of the three supreme qualities we can be mindful of when practicing generosity. The other two are supreme reliance and supreme method. Supreme reliance means relying on bodhicitta motivation for the action and supreme method is seeing that the giver, the act of giving and the receiver all are completely free of inherent independent existence. It's easy when we give someone a gift and they are very happy to feel some kind of self-importance or feel that we are being a good person. This just increases self-grasping and harms the purity of the action. To counteract it, we can think, I'm completely empty of any inherent independent existence. So is this act, and so is the person I'm giving to. We try to see each of these three just as a collection of causes, conditions, and labels. And in that way, we lose the sense that anything of special importance has taken place. If we practice like that, then even a small act of giving can become the cause for good conditions until we reach enlightenment. And if we are really intent on making our practice extensive, we can add three more supreme qualities. Supreme object, supreme purpose, and supreme purity. For the first, the supreme object, we try to make our gift the best quality possible. Usually this means the newest and nicest we can find, but some people prefer old used things like antiques, so I guess in that case you don't give them something straight out of Smith and Coe's if you can help it. Then supreme purpose refers to bringing temporary and ultimate happiness to all beings. Even if we are only giving something to one person, the intention is to make the action a cause for complete enlightenment, so we think that the act is for the benefit of all. Of course, that means we should not harm one creature to benefit another, like, for example, 
feeding a hamster to our pet python. I'm just joking, of course, but you know what I mean. If we have an aquarium, for instance, we shouldn't feed the fish live, instinct, live insects and think this is an act of bodhisattva generosity. The insects value their lives just as much as the fish do theirs, so we can't go harming one kind of creature to give it to another. Anyway, a bodhisattva is intent on benefiting all beings everywhere, so it makes no sense for such a person to harm one being to benefit another. And then the supreme purity means that we try to keep our minds free of any non-virtue in the act of giving. By non-virtue is meant miserliness, favoritism, wish for reward, and all such attitudes. So altogether, those are the six supreme attitudes, and the strength of the positive karma we get from an act of giving depends on those much more than on the value of the gift we give. Just to run through them again, first, our motivation should be bodhicitta. The object we give should be of the best quality, and our purpose is to bring temporary and ultimate benefits to all beings. Then we also remember that the giver, the act of giving, and the receiver have no inherent independent existence at all. We dedicate the virtue we create through giving to attaining enlightenment, and finally we keep our attitude free from non-virtues like miserliness, expectation of some comeback, and so forth. Keeping all these in mind helps our development of the perfection of generosity, the first of the perfections the Bodhisattva trains in. Now each perfection can be practiced in conjunction with a whole collection of six perfections. So we can practice generosity with generosity, ethics with generosity, patience with generosity, enthusiasm with generosity, and both concentration and wisdom with generosity. In this way, a single action can encompass the six perfections and so expand our development of bodhicitta. Let's find out what all this means. Practicing generosity with generosity means giving away even the positive potential we create from giving. We could become a bit smug, thinking that our act of generosity will bring us good fortune in future lives, but this is not practicing with a generosity of generosity. A bodhisattva rather dedicates even the merit he or she gets from giving so that it becomes a cause for the happiness of others. The Bodhisattva also wishes that he or she may be able to practice giving in that way continuously until enlightenment. This is the way to develop the perfection of generosity on our minds. Remember we said that the perfection of generosity is not physical, it's a mental attitude that we develop with Bodhicitta. Now we spoke a little while ago about not harming others in our practice of generosity. And this comes under practicing ethics with generosity. Basically, ethics is not causing ourselves or others harm. And so when we give, it is best to be respectful and gentle and aware of the effects we are having on the others. If we are able to give without causing harm to another being, we will be accomplishing the practice of ethics with generosity. Now what happens when you give a gift and the person you are giving to gets angry and harms you? like the man I talked about last program who got into a fight with his lady friend when she gave him a Wii system instead of a remote-controlled aeroplane for Christmas. He pulled her hair, she buffed him, and none of it, of course, was bodhisattva action. Practicing patience with generosity means that when he pulls your hair, you put your hands together, bow and say, thank you very much. 
Of course, I'm just kidding. But in the situation where someone reacts badly, like angrily to our gift, we stay peaceful and calm and don't retaliate or get into a slugging match. In other words, we still try to keep the wish to benefit the other person, even though they may hurl our gift back in our face. We keep patient and remember not to return harm for harm. Mostly I find it enjoyable to give others presents, and I think most people feel like that. Sometimes, though, if I'm browsing in a shop and come across something I know someone else will really like, the thought that I should get it for them arises. But then I feel a bit loath, kind of lethargic. The whole buying, wrapping and giving seems such a palaver. Perhaps I should just leave it. Practicing generosity with enthusiasm counteracts this kind of mindset. It means we don't let this kind of laziness hold us back from giving, but get the buying, wrapping and giving done instead with joy and energy. Then we come to practicing generosity with concentration. This means that while we're giving, we keep our minds tranquil and undistracted. In particular, we don't let the mind become dull or agitated, which it can easily do if we imagine what a great person we are for doing this great and generous good act. I think great expectations that a gift will bring us lots of kudos and liking from the person we're giving to is a big trap. If we don't get looks of delight or effusive thanks, we immediately feel let down and miserable. But if we have no expectations from our gift and keep our minds calm, it's much easier to deal with whatever reaction the other person has, whether happy or not. After all, once the gift has left our hands, it's no longer ours. It now belongs to the person we gave it to, and they have every right to do with what they want, even chuck it in the rubbish if they, if they want to. You know that after Christmas, the number of unwanted gifts on Trade Me escalates hugely. I wonder how many people get upset when they see the gift they've given a loved one for Christmas, for Christmas land up on the trading site a few days after it was given. But if that happens to us, we shouldn't really worry. Better be happy the person we gave it to gets the money to buy what they really want. Wisdom with generosity is the last perfection conjoined with generosity. I guess being unmoved when your gift lands up on Trade Me is part of this, but it also means choosing the most appropriate gift and being aware of all the circumstances around the giving. A real estate agent who sends a woman a little gift and an offer to sell her house just after her husband has died is hardly acting with wisdom in their generosity. This wisdom also means being aware all the time that the giver, the act of giving, and the recipient are all empty of inherent independent existence, as we mentioned earlier. Now we don't have much time left, but let's spend our last few minutes in meditation on the four types of generosity. Sit comfortably and focus your mind on your breath, letting the thoughts just come and pass without becoming involved with them.
as we did last week, imagine that your body possessions and wealth all dissolve into light, which you send out to all beings in all directions. It gives them whatever they need for their happiness. To the hungry it gives food, to the thirsty drink, to the poor wealth, and so on. as the light of the Dharma, which again you send out to all beings. Through this light, you impart the whole path to enlightenment to them in their own language or way of understanding. They all get the Buddha's teachings and are able to practice the whole path. provides protection to all beings. To the fearful it brings courage, it removes and helps those in danger, it provides nursing and medicine to the sick, and so on. the light is the light of your love, which you send out to all brings, bring them everyone, without exception, peace and joy.
Please come out of meditation. Time is up and we must go. Thank you for joining us today. Please dedicate any positive potential from this program to gaining enlightenment for the benefit of all sentient beings. We'll be back next week at the same time. Please join us then. Goodbye. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.